Hi, um, welcome everybody. Uh, thanks very much for listening in tonight or this afternoon or wherever you are. Um, my name is Bill Taylor. I'm a chartered physiotherapist. I'm based in Edinburgh in Scotland. I'm the consultant physiotherapist for Scottish Ballet. Um, I've been uh, working in dance for dance and performance for probably over the last 20 odd years. And tonight um, I'm really grateful for Liz Bailey to join me. Uh, Liz is a physio. Uh, she's a psychology graduate, uh, she's a former professional dancer, uh, and she's also the resident physio at the Musical Therapy Academy. Music, music, therapy, music. Musical Theatre Academy. Academy. Oh, that's a good start, isn't it? <laughs> therapy. Do you know what? That's what I need this week. I need therapy. So that's what's in my mind. <laughs> Sorry, she's the resident physiotherapist at the Music Musical Theatre Academy. So thank that's you it. for joining me, Liz. And uh, maybe, I don't know if you want to say just a little bit about yourself, just to introduce yourself a bit more, and then we can get to um... it. Yeah, you covered most of it, I guess. Um, I got into it, I, so I, yeah, I was a dancer first. So um, I'm sort of yeah. now becoming, yeah, becoming a person who's kind of being known a little bit more for somebody who does physio with dancers. But yeah, I was a dancer for 15 years professionally, danced since I was three, um, still dance now. When lockdown finishes, I'm gonna go back to dancing um, professional Argentine tango. So I'm still doing it, like it's still a big part of my life. I have to still stay on top of my training and stuff even right now in lockdown. Um, yeah, and I've been a physio for about five years. I was a sports therapist too, for about seven or eight years before I was a physio. That's how I kind of got into it. I think you said that you'd worked in the West End for quite a while. It had quite a lot of experience with different kind of commercial theatre groups and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, especially as a sports therapist. So yeah. I was I was a sports therapist while I was still dancing. Okay. And um, yeah, I worked backstage in the West End a lot. Probably, mm. So my background is probably more musical theatre, whereas yours is more ballet, isn't it? Yeah, well, you do a bit of everything, but... Yeah, a little bit of everything. I suppose I, I suppose my very very first job was with Riverdance uh, in the yes. theatre, and uh, that was that threw me in at the deep end. I'm not a dancer, and uh, I, which meant that I brought a kind of a different perspective to the whole thing. And I, and I think that's the the difference between a dancer becoming a physio, which actually it's something that is something I've promoted. Um, over the years, I've always tried to encourage dancers when they're maybe getting to the end of their career and thinking, what would you do? I think, have you thought of becoming a physio? We could really do with some dancers in physio because yeah. you bring, you bring a, a well, you, you bring the, the uh, dance physio is really different because dancers are really different. Right. And, and I think you and I have had a little chat about this before, how that they're, they're, they're not sportsmen. They're, it's not it's not sports physio. Dance physio is definitely different from sports physio. There's components that are the same, but, but I think it is different. I think you'd probably agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Just the artistic side of it. I think people get into it for the love of the artistry. They are very creative people. Mm -hmm. um, there's a certain type of person that is a performer, I suppose. I, I miss so much working with performers since lockdown started and just that kind of energy that they have the drive for what they do which a lot of sports people have but it's a different it's a different kind of motivation I think it, and it is the artistry and, and the creativity that seems to make it different uh, singles it out from other sports in that way I think I think yeah I think you're right and I think as well oftentimes dancers have been dancing since they were two you know yeah I was three yeah so here they go so I mean I think the thing about dance is you might work, you might be in a sport early but probably not that early you know probably maybe you start your sport teenage years maybe you know maybe 12 13 but you're, you're probably going to be doing lots of different sports up until that time so but if you're a dancer yeah. that's pretty much what you do because it takes up all your time and all your time yeah 
it, I think it becomes a little bit embodied in you as well. You know, that becomes the thing that you do. You know, it's kind of you're, you're, you're committed to it from a very, very early age. And, and often it's, it's more than that, though. I think it's um, it's not what you do. It's it's not. It's who you are. Yeah. yeah. I, that's I think, even now. Yeah. Even now, I'll say. Yeah. It's embodied in, you know, da dancers who are retired in IC will say, well, I, I, I there's something say, oh, I am a dancer. Oh, I was a dancer. And yeah. I'll say, you still are a dancer because I don't think they ever really stopped dancing. I mean, one of my stories, I remember the artistic director at Scottish Dance Theatre um, had, uh, I worked with her for a long time and Janet, even when she'd had her um, surgery for her hip, she was still dancing. She was still out there um, doing the dancing. She hadn't stopped, you know, like that was absolutely something that it was part of her life and she just kept going. You know? And she, I don't think she ever thought that she would stop, even though she wasn't dancing to, for performance. Dancing was just something she had to keep doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, even now, when I when I said you said you want to say about yourself, I was like, I'm still a dancer. <laughs> it's it's a really important thing. It's how I identify with myself, definitely. And when I don't dance, like I didn't really dance when I was training to be a physio. I was too busy. Mm -hmm. So it's a good couple of years that I didn't really dance then. And I'd gone from still dancing professionally straight into my, you know, lectures and stuff. And it, I missed it terribly. And I realised that it was a big part of myself yeah. that I wasn't fulfilling. And I, I actually, I noticed, well, I suppose studying a, a pre-reg MSc is pretty tough anyway. But to then have the dance taken out of my life, mm -hmm. I found that really hard. I think by the end of those two years, I was pretty stressed. <laughs> Yeah. so um yeah it, it is it's a really important part of who you are and how you manage your mental health actually and emotions and yeah just how how you cope with life but dance is a big part of that for me still yeah, and I think as well dancers probably use dance as a little bit of a way to stay balanced you know their creative spirits channel down that way from what I can see and you know if they're not especially thinking about dancers that have been off injured for a long time they tend to get a little bit cranky, a little bit fed up, a little bit, a little bit emotional, a little bit can't, yeah. can't wait. It's it's one of the other difficult things that makes them difficult to treat because there are because they want to get back tomorrow and and um you know you, you have to build a big trust for them so that I think maybe we said this as well in our conversation that I, if you, you, dancers don't want to hear the word stop the word stop dancing and and, and often as soon as you say or stop dancing they pretty much think you're not very good because in fact who would possibly consider that they would ever stop dancing because that's not something that's in their vocabulary so you yeah. have to kind of build a, a kind of a connection with them you know a relationship with them so that when you do say no they actually realize that you mean it and they actually follow your advice they follow your rehab advice to get them back better and quicker than they maybe they maybe otherwise would be um yeah. do you think do you find i suppose my interesting I've always thought, I've always wanted more dancers in, 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 fit in dance medicine, primarily because I thought they would understand dancers more. Do you think that is the case? Do you think that gives you a bit of an edge when you're treating dancers, having come from the background yourself? Yeah, I, um, I don't think you can deny that there's that connection between me and someone who's still dancing. It's, I said this, I've said this in other podcasts as well, but when I was dancing, if I could see someone who had been a dancer, I always felt more comfortable with them. Like I could use the terminology and I just, I just presumed they got me, you know, and, and they usually did. They were usually, they were usually good. And I think that helped my recovery. And I think, yeah, it, so when, when I see someone now, 
I always feel more confident because I think, well, I know exactly how they feel. I've been injured as a dancer. I've been, I've had to stop work because of a dancer. I've had loads, I had loads of injuries as a dancer, which is why I'm a physio now. That's how I got interested in it. Mm-hmm. Whenever I was on someone's couch, I would always ask lots of questions and be so interested in what they were doing. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be happy to just be treated. I would want to know what was wrong, what was going what it meant for me, how long I was going to be off, what the anatomy was, what the treatment was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find quite a lot of dancers are like that. They like to really be informed in their treatment. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's to do with them knowing their body quite well and because it's their instrument, you know, but um, so I always, if they're interested, I'll give them all the information and give them you know, stuff to read. And so they really understand it. But, and I've said this in other podcasts as well. I also saw lots of uh, physios and osteos and chiros, if I'm honest, <laughs> uh, when I was a dancer, just anyone who I could see at the time, but yeah. who didn't have a dance background, who were still great, you know, and they would, if, basically, if they could get me better, I guess I didn't really care. But that initial meeting, and when you first yeah. go to see somebody, I would always feel more positive if they had a background in dance. I, I suppose it's just natural, isn't it? I think um, that's true. I think I, I, I would say that, you know, when I started, I, I felt a little bit of an imposter, I guess, because I wasn't a dancer. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I'd kind of come from a manual therapy background that was very interested in movement and very interested in kind of movement analysis. So for me, it, it the whole dance thing fitted really well with um, what I was doing. And also, I think I was coming from a background that looked at how people moved and we were trying to get them to move better. So I was less really interested in their pain. So when they came and they would tell me they were in pain, okay, that's fine. Just let me see you move. I want to see you move first. So we'd get on to the moving thing straight away. And that for me almost broke down a lot of barriers because I didn't spend a long time chatting about their pain. I would say, okay, can you stand up? Can you get me moving? Or you don't want me to lie in the bed? No, get off the bed, show me. And then I I let, what you said about the language is really important. So I bought myself um, Bali for dummies and I ran, I learned learned the language really quickly. And I used to do the same things to the dancers that you used to do to the physios. I'd say, so what do you call that? That's a ponche, that's a tondu, that's a a rond de jambe, that's on the jambe, on the hor. So I I had all the words, I had it all there. So I could say to them, you know, when you pirouette on door, how does that feel? And they go, oh, you know the words. And then the immediate connection. (laughs) And then because I said to them, oh, you don't need to rest, you can keep training. You can keep rehearsing, you can keep dancing. They were like, oh, oh, well, everyone, well, that's funny because every other physio I've been to has told me just to rest. And resting, I said, well, resting doesn't really help you guys. You can't really rest. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I think it's, I, I, like for a long time, I, I, f- I felt less like an imposter the longer I was doing it and more like a kind of an adopted dancer, even though I'd never actually danced because they kind of, they kind of get this idea that, and I think you, you probably know this yourself, dancers talk. So I have dancers from all over the country coming to see me because people would say, oh, so-and-so came to see you when she was in Chicago. I said, you were amazing. So I've come all this way to see you. And it, it can, it's funny because it puts a lot of pressure on you because you think, oh my goodness me, you've come all this way and I've got to, I've got to deliver the goods. And deliver, sometimes, yeah. you can, sometimes you can't. But anyway, I think the thing I was interested in talking a little bit about, but thank you for that. that yeah, it's, it's good. And I'm, I'm really glad that as a dancer, you're here. And let's hope that we get more of them over the next few years. And I, and I think actually you on Twitter, the reason I, I really was really, wanting to chat to you was just because I, I just like your energy on Twitter I like the fact that you're out there saying what you're doing and then I, I heard your podcast with the students at Northam Uni and I, I really enjoyed that I thought that was yeah. really good uh, chat 
and, uh, and and it was really interesting to see so many people that were in, interested in maybe going down this kind of um, path. Yeah. But one of the things, that we, there's a few, few things that we thought we might talk about, and one of them was the idea that dancers always like hands-on physiotherapy, like they come yeah. along and while they do want the information, they do want the education, they do want to know what to do, they want to know the exercises, if you don't touch them, they often feel a bit cheated. If they leave without yeah. putting their hands on them, they kind of think, well, he's not that good. He didn't actually touch me. You know, all I got was a few exercises. What, what do you feel about that? Yeah, no, you're spot on. You can tell that you work with dancers. I think it's, it's, I've said this in other chats that I've done and things, because it's such a big one. Um, it was one when Jack asked me to do the Physio Matters podcast, yeah, the yeah. first thing I said to him was this, this was one of the topics we had to address, because mm -hmm. if you're going to be a physio who works with dancers, you have to have good hands-on skills, because they just won't accept you not touching them. Mm -hmm. And like when I say that, I give them lots of education and talk about all the stuff that I'm doing it while I'm treating them. We're mm -hmm. not sitting there yeah, face yeah, to course. face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. this is them on the treatment couch, me doing whatever it is I'm doing, whether it's a calf massage or a, uh, a mobilization or a, you know something but I'm always I chat to them while I'm treating them there is no static energy in the room at all <laughs> and um yeah and one of the things I said in that talk that you listened to and got involved in was you know when I see dancers usually in the West End it's between shows so they have their matinee show they have a few hours off and then they have their evening show and that's when you go in there because everyone's in the theatre yeah. so when they come up to see you for a half hour session they're not expecting to just be given some exercises they're coming up for something that's sore now mm -hmm. that they want to be able to dance on in the next show mm -hmm. so we know that certain exercises could help with that maybe some isometrics or maybe a certain stretch or whatever but actually this is and this is I was really conflicted for a while so I was more of a manual therapist before I did my physio because I was a sports therapist and all I did was manual therapy. I didn't do any diagnostics, really just the basic joint assessments and I'd be straight in there with my hands. Yeah, yeah. And then I did my master's in physio and was like, you know, basically got taught manual therapy isn't all that. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Cause I, I really hate the BS that goes along with it. I, I can't stand. I'm, I'm a really kind of honest person. I think my patients would always say that about me. Like if, if I, I will always tell them the truth. I won't dress it up. And I hate rubbish explanations, BS explanations that go along with manual therapy. And when I learned all that stuff, I was like, right, that's it then. No more. I don't want to be someone who doesn't use something that's validated and mm -hmm. worthwhile and evidence-based. So I kind of backed off a little bit and I would do a bit of manual therapy here and there, but I wouldn't be as into it if I'm honest. And I, I wouldn't think it worked. Like I used to think it worked like mechanically because I used to believe it was, it would get your blood flowing and it would restrict, yeah. uh, it would, it would free adhesions and it would change the fascia. And then I learned it didn't do any of those things. Mm -hmm. So I, as I did it, I didn't, I kind of lost faith in it myself a little bit probably. Uh -huh. And then you kind of had to say, but actually just think for a second, we know that it does make changes. It's just that it's not how we think we used to think it does. There's, there's mechanism of effect via the nervous system you know we and then this is the kind of thing that I'll talk to to dancers about while I'm treating them so I'll say this will feel better in the short term because of this uh -huh. so long term we now need to get you stronger we need to 100%. you know yeah whatever it is whatever it is you need to do on top of that but yeah yeah, the hands-on is a big one. I think there is some evidence out there to, to, to suggest that if, if, there are any, if there are any effects of manual therapy that are mechanical or physiological, they, are, they only last for a short time. So you yes. can argue, if you, want that, if you want that change in the short time, like pitch side or 
a stage side, then that's yep. going to be doing it really, you know. It's valid, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, there is some evidence to back that up. I think the biggest problem is, as I used to have, was everyone had wanted and um, they wanted cracked, they wanted put back in. This was out, and so there's a big, uh, there's yes. a big kind of educational component there to try to uh, use different terminology, um, which is quite difficult because if you start using that, if you start using different, if that, if a dancer comes to you and they think something has gone out, and you say it hasn't gone out then you get into a big kind of circular argument about, well, and then, well, actually, I've only got five minutes with them. So you have to almost kind of note in your mind, right, so this is someone I have to do some education with later. So I might see yep. him back in the, back at the at, 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 um, Scottish Ballet headquarters and then get him in and I say, we're going to strengthen you, but on the back of that, do a big learning kind of education pack say look joints don't go out of place that's not what happens your joint might be a bit stiff might be a bit jammed up and we might mobilize it we might loosen it we might get it moving again but we're not actually putting anything back in place and, and that but that's the other thing that happens if, there's a kind of a thing where dancers often lose maybe confidence in you when you say that because that is their complete belief system and it's going to take a little bit of time and a bit of confidence and a bit of confidence they have confidence in you to actually believe that I think yeah yeah I, the other deal with it is I kind of and this is something that I learned on a, a pain course that I did with no pain Mike many years ago I did this before I was a physio when yeah. was it a long time ago, six or seven years ago and he was talking about how people have to be in a, in a stage where they're ready to learn something sure. so you have to try and assess are they going to be open to this or are they just completely blocked That's and right. then getting someone to, and this is the same for people in pain trying to get them to understand their sensations rather than you talking at them is asking them questions to kind of come to that rationale by themselves so like I say to them if I was able to let's say stretch your ITB with some pressure from my forearm don't you think that you'd just be a pool of mushy goo on the floor? You know, I'm not putting that much pressure on you. You know, if I could do that with a bit of force from my body, I'm not that strong, then your body would never be, never be able to withstand the forces that are going through it. Like if someone's doing a massive Bronjetti on Turner or, or whatever it is, and they're landing with those forces and just try and get them to sort of have a think about the forces that go through their body that it has to withstand. And then the pressure that I'm doing as a manual therapist and often something will click, not always, but you've got to, you, and if, it, if you think it's not going to click, you have to just accept maybe this isn't the time, but at least maybe you've opened a door. Yeah, and I think that's what the motivational interview people will say, you know, the, the, you yes. have to use your battles and you can't, you don't just dive in there. I mean, I think one of the stories I always use, I'll say, look, if you want to stretch your IT band, if you want to do it in the lab, it takes 9,000 newtons. He said, yes, I, I use that example too. <laughs> a lot of newtons. Now, Probably, if you're lucky, you could probably generate about 70. So you're only 8,930 newtons away from how much you need to, to change it structurally. So that's a lot. That's that's a big distance. And even although they maybe don't, nobody absolutely in their mind has a, an idea of what a newton is, they know that it, that's a lot of thousands away from where they should be. And, and I, yeah. I used to just change my language really all the time. So I never used the language of, you know, um, needing cracked, put back in. I'd always kind of talk about, well, it's probably a bit jammed. It's not moving as well. It's a little bit, it's maybe a little bit sticky. It's um, maybe the muscle, maybe lack of control. Um, maybe there's not so much strength here. So we have a little muscle imbalance. So we need to look at that in a different way. And it kind of gradually yeah. people started kind of saying, they would still come in and say, Oh, Bill, I just need you to crack me. <laughs> and I'll say, Always. And, and, and you think, well, 
is what do you do? Do you, you're in this kind of quandary. So you might assess them and say, okay, you do feel a little bit stiff there. So I could loosen that off for you. I said, but remember, I'm not putting anything back in. This is me just loosening it off. So it moves a little bit better temporarily, but you're going to have to come back and see me later because we need to do the work to make this change. Yeah. This is not going to happen. Do you tell them what the crack is? Do you ever talk about the gas escaping and all that? If I have time, it's one of those things, right? I'll just say, oh, it's a bit of gas going back in solution. I think that's what most people think it is. I said, there was a study done with the knuckle. I can show you the video. (laughs) I said, there's no joint surfaces realigning. There's no anything going back into joint. There's There's no disc being, you know, like... Um, replaced anywhere it's nothing like that it's more about mm. the, the effect of the crack as a neurophysiological effect it changes the the input of the nerve it ch- and and sometimes you could just see them going yeah but whatever just get me back on stage don't care just do it yeah don't care just do it um yeah. and it's it sometimes I, I mean i think um it, it's definitely getting better I think like the language that we use and I suppose the trouble is oftentimes in the past it's not just physios that use that language Kairos, osteos use that language as well and dancers would often go to see Kairos and osteos because they would seek out that manipulative type treatment because they find that really yeah. beneficial yeah and I don't actually think there's been um, any studies done looking at the use of manual therapy on, on the treatment of dancers you know especially like mm. a Kind of stage side stuff i don't think that that's been out there at all so and, and i think if you want to I, I would totally agree with you if you want to work it, it behoves us to to kind of educate the dancers and to kind of make them understand that they don't go on this big kind of searching pathway for lots of different types of manipulation and in fact actually probably what because these guys are all dancing probably because they're they've got a bit of extra mobility hyper mobility if you want to call them that um and and they've self-selected to dance because of that um those guys are the kind of guys that they often you know they, they want to be working on strengthening which kind of brings us to the next thing that we wanted to really talk about yeah so i've yeah. been in dance i've been in the dance world for 20 years and and it's been a massive shift that i've seen being part of and tried to encourage with uh introducing the idea of strengthening and conditioning to the dance world which was you know when i took over at scottish ballet which was a long time ago we had um we had, a, we had no gym to speak of, and we had um, three gyrotonics instructors, maybe two gyrotonics instructors. So we had, which is for people that are listening that don't know, it's a kind of form of Pilates on a three-dimensional kind of weight and pulley system, um, which involves quite a lot of dancey, rotational, long-axis movements. You know what it is, Liz, but I was just saying it for them. Sort of. I'm, I'm much more Pilates than gyrotonics, but yeah, I've, I've never done it. So if you're a dancer, it's people, dancers kind of love it because basically you can do pretty much dance moves against weighted resistance. And of course, the problem was that, you know, the thing about dancers is that they tend to do the same thing over and over again. And so what we, so if you go from, if you're rehabbing and you went to do gyro, it was really useful because you could take the movements that you find difficult. We could, um, you can assist or resist the movement with the machine. So you can make it either easier or harder to do the exercise. Yeah. And you could retrain a, you could a port de bras, or you could whatever, whatever it is you're doing. Okay, you know, maybe a maybe a plié, a grand plié. You could strengthen that in a non-weight bearing type position, uh, open open kinetic chain type exercise. Um, but actually, ultimately, what we were doing was just retraining those same patterns over and over again. So it was when we started. Um, 
the, the physio that um, Mark, Martin Lanfer, who's at Scottish Ballet at the moment, and Martin kind of set up, um, I, I kind of, I took a step to the side and became consultant physio. Martin really ran the place and kind of developed where it is at the moment. And um, we put in, Scottish Ballet uh, funded uh, the an installation of a, a, a full gym program with weights and and bars and, and frames and and also funded a strength and conditioning coach. So that almost overnight, there was this wow. change towards really getting the dancers on board. And, you know, it was really interesting because I guess we, we didn't know quite how they were going to take to it, but they actually took it like to like fishes to water because they understood and they could see almost immediately with decent training, decent education, decent support and good facilities that, that training could really help. Um, and I think, because and I think maybe over the years, if I had been encouraging dancers to lift weights and giving them weight programs, they were all worried about their their arms getting too bulky, bulking up, yeah. So they didn't they didn't want that aesthetic line to change, and so mm -hmm. I, and the nice thing is we know about strength and conditioning science, so we can say to them, look, if you do this number of reps at this type of weight, you're not going to hypertrophy, you're not going to bulk up, you're going to get stronger, but you're not going to get bigger and muscly. So, um, and I think. Probably you you coming up the back. I wonder, did you, when you were a dancer, do a lot of strength and conditioning or is that just something you've come to now that you're a physio? Oh, it's such a good question. And I'm so passionate about this. This is why I get in Twitter all the time and I'm like, do strength and conditioning to all the dancers. So when I, when I danced, all I ever did was dance training. That's all I did. Dance classes, ballet classes, modern jazz, Latin and ballroom, um, uh, some adage so I used to do a lot of the lifts with yeah. my dance partner yeah. um, and even though we were doing things like lifts which is kind of almost circ territory so we're talking like you know lots of body strength to do that stuff did I ever do any kind of press up or nothing literally nothing and the, Jack asked me about this Jack Chu said to me why didn't you and I was like because no one did that I knew you know now I, I'm slightly different go on there's no time because yeah yeah because you get there at 10 o'clock in the morning and you rehearse to six o'clock in the evening and what you want to do is go home and collapse on the sofa and have yeah you're knackered yeah so it, it, it the whole kind of dance thing wasn't periodized it wasn't you know it wasn't looked at I mean what you know the big difference for me was even when I was trying to do strength and conditioning with my dancers it wasn't tied in with the whole year program of, of what we were doing what the performances were what the lead up because you know what rehearsal is like it's the same thing over and over again yeah when you get to performance and the, there's weird things that happen so during rehearsal you're going in in the morning you're working till six you do that and then you have like a, maybe a three month run and during that run your whole sleeping patterns change because you don't start work till yeah. six o'clock seven o'clock yes and then you might be working if you've got you might not be getting out there till 12 so you don't get yeah. home by the time you've calmed down and had something to eat and relaxed it's two o'clock in the morning then you go to bed you don't want to get up in the morning and go to the gym and lift weights. You want to just like no. chill out till the next class that you. That's been. it. That's exactly it. And and I only realised this as I was telling Jack Chu my story. I was like, oh my god, that's why I didn't do it because mm -hmm. the example I always give. It's really boring, but it's one of the biggest shows that I did. It's more famous, so people know about it. Was the Moulin Rouge in Paris? Okay, so I was there for a year. And um, once we were into shows, so like you say, out of rehearsals, we used to do um, 12 shows a week because we would do two shows every single night. I would have one day off. Mm -hmm. And there it's even later. So because it's a cabaret show, the first show would be at nine. The second show would be at like 12. I, don't know, was that, I can't remember now. It was late. So we wouldn't even get out of there until one. 
-hmm. by the time we'd walked home we'd had a shower there you'd Mm -hmm. had a chat you walked home you watched tv you ate something I said I said we'd be in bed by three but actually we weren't I think we're in bed by 5 Mm a.m you know so and like you said the next day even if someone had said to me go and do actually some of us used to do dance classes there's quite good dance classes in Paris so people would go and do them I have to admit I never did I was a terribly lazy dancer I never even crushed like did extra dance classes Mm -hmm. but the reason was I was bloody tired all the time but now looking back on it I think but if I trained I wouldn't have been as tired you know now I know that and I was going to give this as an example when I knew I was going to speak to you but like I said, I'm still dancing now, not on the same level, not like that, not like 12 shows a week, but I, I will need to do professional performance at some point this year, Argentine Tango. Mm-hmm. And because I've had a bit of time over lockdown, I've been doing some experiments with myself. So I've been doing some strength training mm-hmm. and I can now knock out 20 press-ups. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do two, like I can do 20 full press-ups in a row. Mm-hmm. I can do two sets of it too. I'm very proud of myself, <laughs> but I'm, I'm working on single leg heel raise strength because as you know, I've talked about this before, you know it's important in dance strength. Mm-hmm. I've been working on just single leg press strength. I've been working on, yeah, press ups, um, core stuff, mm-hmm. really specific fundamental muscle group strength. Mm-hmm. And yesterday or the day before, I was dancing around in my front room and I knocked out a triple pirouette. Fantastic. Because my strength was so good. My, my calf didn't give way after one. I could hold it. And I feel like when I did my arm movements, they were stronger and sharper. Yeah, yeah. And I look back at when I used to watch myself dancing, I, I always, I mean, I'm really critical of myself. I think all dancers are, if you see yourself dancing, you kind of go, ah, mm-hmm. but I, I always feel like I didn't look very strong. Mm-hmm. I always looked very kind of, I guess, like, like a pretty dancer, like, you know, I had nice right. lines and things. And, yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah. I didn't look strong. And when I danced in my house the other day, after doing a good three or four months of proper strength training, which I now know how to do, I felt strong and I was like, God, I wish I had known this when I was, when I needed to know it, I would have been less tired. My cardio would have been better. Now I do cardio training. I never trained in cardio when I was dancing. Like when I was doing Latin and ballroom, we would have to do a three and a half minute salsa number, Mm -hmm. which really is almost at an anaerobic pace. You know, like it's every single part of your body going for three and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, I would be like seeing stars, Mm -hmm. you know? But I never trained outside of the performances to get my cardio up because if I'm honest, I was lazy. I think even if someone had told me to, I probably would have been like, oh, I'll be right. I can do yeah. it. <laughs> I think probably but I didn't enjoy it much. There wasn't really, I suppose there wasn't any evidence that it was worthwhile to do because dancers mm. always did class to get yes. dance. And, and then yes. what would happen is you would get the rep for the next performance and you would start out pretty weak and pretty cardiovascularly poor. And as you get better at the rep, three or four weeks before the performance you'd almost be fit enough to do the whole show that's right absolutely i I worked with the uh, scottish ballet when they did swan lake and that's a really heavy duty um, yes and actually it was it was probably only maybe after we were into like the first week of actually performing that people really felt that they you know after the second week they were thinking oh this is quite easy because by that point Mm. they'd kind of reached their cardiovascular kind of goal threshold where they can just keep going now they were shattered it was very interesting during that because that's a really heavy duty piece of dancing there would have been no opportunity to um to do strength training or cv training during that and probably no real requirement because i think from what i remember we did a a little bit of um strength training in the run-up 
to uh, Swan Lake because we knew it was going to be pretty, um, pretty um, heavy. Demanding. But I mean, not even not we weren't even doing a lot of stuff at that point. But we're we're kind of introducing it as a new idea. But I think, mm. um, yeah, it, it's it's. I mean, I think one of the things that we've always thought is, it, and, and certainly there's some evidence out there that 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 um, kind of uh, cross training can increase performance. I think um, yes, you, yeah, you know, absolutely can increase performance and things like you know increasing your turnout strength can increase the number of revolutions on a pirouette and and making your calf stronger and makes your your point stronger so you can pirouette a little bit easier so that kind of stuff works. There's mm -hmm. probably I, I think you just uh, tweeted something today about um, a systematic review that pretty much was saying that there wasn't that much evidence that it reduced injuries. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I wonder, I was wondering, I had, I had a look at it and I, I grabbed the paper and had a quick look before I came on tonight. And I said, I think, you know, my immediate, my first immediate response was a little bit like what you were just talking about there is that because dancers are already, we're, we're, al we're almost often, they're often over dancing. They're often over, over training. They're often doing too much. And that in actual fact, you need to, we need to be looking at them. A little, that's when we need to look at them a little bit like sports people and say, so what, when's your next big performance? which yeah. we have to train for that we have to now what does what does that rep include is it a lot of jumping is it a lot of turning is it a lot of lateral movements so floor work sometimes yeah so let's look at all of the work yeah. in this this choreography and see where you might think you're lacking put a strength program in for that like maybe three or four months before you actually start rehearsing then add in some cv work and then maybe then the agility and aesthetic work so that when you actually come to but we're not doing that so when you look at that paper that and also that paper that it was a lot of different types of exercise like hit and, yes. and cardiovascular and some some weightlifting, but not because I my, my feeling is and I have no I, I my feeling is that kind of strength training for dancers is almost the thing that they're missing they're not missing the agility the coordination the timing the speed work often yeah but they're often yeah. what they're often missing is that basic strength work so deadlifts yeah. squats and you know, and why is that because when they dance it's body weight yeah right so yeah. and the other thing this this came up in some I've seen watched so many online lectures over lockdown it's been fantastic <laughs> but this came up in a lecture where someone was talking about how dance classes are there to teach dancers dance skills yeah they're not there to make them stronger that's right. so they're a skills-based that's right uh, they're a skills-based thing yeah. they're not they're not a strength thing or they're not they're not to make you cardiovascularly fit no, no. you know that's not what they're for the, the dance classes are for dance skill and yeah. that requires a certain amount of strength and stamina but that's you won't you won't get what you need for performance from the dance classes alone. And that was without a doubt my problem. That was that was it because I did my dance classes, but I didn't do anything else. And then when I was performing, I didn't even do dance classes. I just performed. Yeah. And, and I think it's and I think that's that's been traditionally that what most dancers have done. And I think it will yeah. be changing it. And well, listen, I could talk to you all night, but actually um, what I think I'd quite like to do if you're up for it is I wouldn't I would quite like to come back maybe another time and have a chat about treatments and stuff and what we actually do with them and, and, and maybe talk about some different injuries with you if that's okay. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. Interesting to do because it's it's good for me to talk to someone else that's in this kind of arena and uh, get feedback and I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you. It's been great. And yeah, uh, same. Really, really nice to speak to you, Bill. Nice to see your face after seeing all your tweets. And um, <laughs> yeah. it, uh, it's, been, it's been a blast. What I'll do, um, thank you very much, everyone, for coming along. And thanks, Liz, for being here. And um, yeah, 
thanks a lot and hopefully we'll see you again